Welcome to episode number 42 of Nurses Living the Good Life. My name's Ann Conkley. I'm a certified nurse midwife and a certified life and business coach, and I'm so glad that you're here. About a month ago, I was approached by Doximity to um, come on to the Doximity platform. For those of you guys who don't know, Doximity, it's a networking site and professional site, I would say, for uh, healthcare professionals. And um, and some of you actually may use it for your private practice uh, and use the Doximity uh, app to screen phone calls and uh, to have a number, and it's great for that too. But I like Doximity because I think it's a it's like LinkedIn for healthcare people. So if you're not on Doximity, there's a lot of resources on there, and I, I recommend uh, getting over there. I, if I'm going to make one uh, uh, <laughs> quip about Doximity, if you are a certified nurse midwife, there is currently no uh, ability to note yourself as a certified nurse midwife. You have to um, say that you are your, you have to list your credentials as NP. So if you go on, you're going to see it says Anne-Marie Conkley, comma NP, and then below I can put my title as a certified nurse midwife. So I've mentioned this to them. I'll continue to mention this to them. And if you'd like to mention it to them because you're a midwife and you'd like to see your credentials uh, appropriately represented, then I'd encourage you to write an email or give them a phone call or leave some comments on the Doximity app so that they can take care of business. So, but uh, Doximity approached me and asked if I would come on and, um, you know, share some resources and content, some video content for the platform, and then also to do a section that's called Ask Me Anything or AMA. And so I agreed and said, yeah, sure, it sounds fun. So I got a couple questions and I wanted to uh, share the answers that I provided and uh, and give you an opportunity to, um, to hear kind of some of my thoughts about questions that I get all the time and, you know, uh, and I'm I'm sure more will come in this week. So, but the first one that I got was this. When an APRN has a heavy workload and wants to provide the best care despite having less time to do it, which strategy do you recommend they implement to finish their day strong and still be satisfied with the care that they provided? So I said to this gal, uh, this is Natalie Rodino, she had commented, and I said, boy, what a great question. Thank you for asking it. And then I said, let's start with examining a few things. And I have to admit, when I come at these questions, I, I think it's important to take a pause and to point my brain where the evidence is exists, which is to say that the care we provide as advanced practice nurses, this goes for all healthcare professionals, I'm not discrim- discriminating against anybody else, but the, the care that we provide for our uh, group of advanced practice nurses really is phenomenal. So let's, I, I, I always first like to acknowledge that you know, what we do is amazing, not only for the patients that we treat, but it's also really has huge am- impact on the systems where we work. It has huge impact in our communities. We generate for every, you know, uh, visit that we uh, complete in an office setting or every baby we catch or procedure we do, we generate revenue for an organization, which increases the number of uh, very often tax dollars uh, that get created and that flow back into our communities in the form of supporting school districts and, uh, you know, um, uh, programs that are, that, you know, manage lead poisoning and, and, you know, things that really support the growth and health and development of communities. And so I think that's phenomenal. So whenever I get asked these questions or whenever I start to think about, you know, something that, that it feels kind of like it's like a loaded question or or maybe I'm not quite sure of the answer. I like to point my brain in the direction of what is true. 
about you know what we do right uh, off the bat so that i'm making i'm outsmarting my brain and making sure that i you know create the scenario where i'm in a um considering all the positive parts first okay so i said so let's just first start by saying that look the work we do is phenomenal and let's just acknowledge that what you do for your patients is absolutely phenomenal and you know really makes their lives better and it makes communities better and uh, you know the world wouldn't be the same if, if if you didn't do it okay and then i usually you know like to just also and i said to this gal you know thank you for your compassion your care your commitment to patient care blanket statement right and then i said look now here's the thing um, COVID put an unanticipated strain on most healthcare systems. And if you start to look around, and I sent an email out about this maybe a couple weeks ago, about some of the changes that have happened since COVID and really what's happening at a grassroots level. And most of you will be very familiar with this because you live it on a day-to-day basis, which is that we have seen several changes. We know that turnover rates are high. We saw an exodus in the great resignation. We saw people who not only left multiple industries, uh, but in specific left healthcare because they got to a point where they said, I'm out, I've had enough. And so we know that with the um, not only exit, the departure rate of physicians, of nurses, of advanced practice nurses, of support staff, we know that that's been a cost to uh, organizations. We know that because it's not only been a cost, because if you understand anything about operating budgets and um, you know, the cost related to employees is one of the highest expenses that an organization will ever have, much more so than MRI machines and fancy diodes and, you know, uh, all this fancy equipment. The operating costs associated with management and care of people in the form of employees is really a huge cost and the, one of the largest ones. So when a portion of your healthcare staff leaves and we see that, you know, either number one, that person has to be replaced or number two, we have to um, spread the work around and hope that it gets done, right? There's a cost for that, right? And so not only is there a cost in terms of um, onboarding the new people to bring them into the organization and get them up to snuff, which as you know, for most of us, especially if you're in a, you know, if you're in an RN role, it's taking, you know, I don't know, orientations can be anywhere from six weeks to 12 weeks to six months. You might be in a position as an advanced practice nurse where you are, you know, in a three-month or a six-month orientation. You might be in a fellowship program where you're in a year. Um, and so when we bring people into those, those roles, we understand that just because we're replacing, you know, the FTE, it doesn't mean that the person who uh, who's replacing the old FTE is actually up to snuff off the bat, right? And we see this very often. I think, you know, if any of you have ever started up a practice or you have been a new midwife in a practice, you know, or a new advanced practice nurse, in an outpatient practice, you know that it takes some time to get you know your um, your volume up, and very often, I mean, the, the industry standard is it takes about two years to build up a pretty stable and robust patient panel uh, in a private practice, and that's pretty normal. So, but here's the thing, right? So, what happens in those two years? Well, the an organization or a practice usually takes a hit because of the you know the lower amount of productivity. And, and very often we budget for this. We budget for it when we create private practices. We know that it's no surprise to anybody that you're going to start off slow and you're going to ramp up over time. It's the same thing when we hire people. So, but when with COVID and when we saw that you know, people began to leave our uh, profession, 
what we, uh, I think, also didn't plan for was the reality that a lot of people left. We then also had a lot of retraining to do on new people coming in, which takes time and it costs money, right? Retraining someone uh, in turnover in general is the highest burn rate for any, you know, in terms of expenses for an organization. So we had to replace a lot of people. That costs a lot of money. It costs a lot of time. There's a lot of investment, right? These aren't bad things. There's just, there's investment that needs to happen. We also know then for the areas of, uh, you know, the, your hospital where it wasn't as easy to backfill some of the full-time FTEs, we had to rely on services to provide support in a pinch. And, you know, a lot of us are, uh, if you've done a travel contract, you understand that <laughs> being on the benefit, uh, the receiving end of a travel contract is great, right? Because you're like, I've got the skills. There's a hospital that has a need because they can't fill the spot. They they need to have a you know either a nurse or a advanced practice nurse, you know do the work. And I've got the skills. I can do it. And it comes at a rate, which is great, right? So for the nurse, right? For the hospital though, right? If you've got an emergency department that's operating with a traveler rate on the nursing side for, you know, thirty percent of of your entire staff, then your costs have increased. They've they've not only increased, they've skyrocketed. So, right, and plus we also know too that in addition to the turnover rates being high and the subsequent, you know, costs that occur with those high turnover rates um, and the high departure rate that we've seen, we also know that just costs are generally higher right now. We're, we're in a point of inflation. I think the, you know, average increase in, of cost of goods right now is 8% higher right now than it was roughly a year ago. So, and that's on just the plain old consumer side. That means if I'm going into the store and buying a carton of milk, you know, it's costing me 8% more today than it did a year ago, which it's a lot of money if you start to think about, especially if you're in a household that buys, you know, a ton of milk, you know, uh, it really adds up. Now think of that on the bigger scale. Think of being an organization and saying, well, you know, the cost of speculums went up or the cost of lubricant went up or the cost of PPE went up, right? And we know from an economics perspective that supply and demand is at place it is in play here. So, right, the uh, supply goes up and demand goes down, right? Prices tend to drop. Demand goes up, supplies go down, prices tend to increase. So if you are a organization, you have a big need for PPE, and all of a sudden the, de- the, su- the demand is high and the supply is low, you know, there's a lot of price gouging that can occur on the supplier side because they're like, well, we're in, a, we're in a great spot here. We got all these masks in this warehouse, and I got all these hospitals bidding, highest bidder is going to win out, you know, for who gets the masks on the other side because, you know, the supply is really limited. So, right, so we understand a little bit about turnover rates and the cost from the employer uh, and related to the cost of employees. We understand about the hospitals are paying more, just like you and I are at the grocery store. The hospitals, they too are paying more probably for, um, you know, the uh, cost of goods, right, that they are, you know, needing to get in to have the work done. And in general, um, we know that, um, you know, I mean, it doesn't take much to look at your current organization and wonder about whether or not they're cost conscious, right? I mean, just all you have to do is stand in one outpatient office at one printer and you have to watch that printer. It just goes and it goes and it prints and it prints and it prints. And I would bet that 50% of what comes out of that printer every day goes straight into a recycling bin. 
And most hospitals are run like that, right? I mean, think about all the waste that happens in terms of the OR and supplies. And think of when you are, you know, doing a case and you open up a tray, right? And maybe you use all of the instruments, maybe you don't, but the reality is you open the tray. So it's not like I can just like, oh, well, I didn't use, you know, 50% of the instruments today, so we're just going to put those back. Hell no, they got to go through central, you know, uh, processing, they got to be sterilized, they've got to take time, somebody's got to sterilize them and repackage them and, you know, and they've, uh, the transport's got to bring them up. So and there's cost to all of that. So, you know, organizations in general have never been what I would call very cost conscious. Um, and the other interesting factor here is that, you know, over the past 20 years, we have seen the Medicare conversion factor decrease. So if we're looking on a global scale and you say, wait a minute, shit, this or- the organizations are getting squeezed because they've got less people around to do the work which means they're paying um, more in order to entice people in to do the work. I, I mean, if you guys are in Cleveland, you'll, you will know what I'm talking about when I say, good God, every time you watch, I think it's a, the Cleveland Browns or, or, you know, there are Cleveland Clinic uh, uh, advertisements coming up for nurses left and right. You know, this is a great place to start your career as a nurse at Cleveland Clinic. And they are heavy on the advertising side right now. Why? Well, because they're they're looking for nurses. They've got a, a deficit of nurses in most organizations in this uh, city, so they're trying to promote. So so right. So we think, oh wow, okay. So there's they're getting squeezed because they don't have enough staff. They're paying high rates on travelers to come in and do the work. And look, if you're a traveler, go get it. Go find a contract. Make the money. I I'm all for that. <laughs> Just on the on the individual side, go do that. If you are the you know budget manager or the person who's looking the you know administrative uh, support people in your unit uh, looking at budgets and PLs, uh, God bless you and I wish you all the best because it's tough right now and you know this. So the organizations are getting squeezed on uh, you know and look before I know one of you is thinking in your mind which is like but they should have known this and look I'm not here to debate if they should have or they shouldn't have I I I kind of agree with you there. You know, but if, if what's the saying? If ifs and buts were candy and nuts, and every day be Christmas. You know, my husband said that to me sometimes. Drives me kind of bonkers, but there is some truth. <laughs> Don't tell him that, but there is some some truth in that, right? So, so right. So, like, if if all of the employers, you know, were able to be cost conscious, we wouldn't be in this situation. Well, yeah, I, like, yeah, if ifs and buts were candy and nuts, right? It'd be Christmas. So, so, and it's not. So, so. They're getting squeezed on the um, employer side, um, not only in terms of costs, in terms of the cost of doing business, right? Because the goods are more expensive. The staff, the turnover rates are higher. They're having to replace staff. They're having to pay top dollar for staff. They're also, um, you know, at a point where they've never really particularly been efficient to, you know, to start. And so they're starting to see the strain of their inefficiencies, right, and all the waste that's created in those systems uh, in the form of, you know, paper rolls that, you know, printers that continuously print or, um, you know, uh, supplies that uh, continuously aren't used but get thrown out anyways. There's all these reasons, right, that there's a big squeeze. And then you, you also, from a systems level standpoint, look and you say, wow, over the past 20 years, we've seen the reimbursement rates fall, right? And so if your hospital is an institution that accepts dollars from Medicaid or Medicare, we have seen that since over the past 20 years that the uh, Medicaid conversion factor has dropped. So I think it was 
um, you know, I think it was 38 and now it's $34, right? Which means so the cost of doing, you know, I'm, if I'm an institution in 2022 doing a PAP test uh, and I bill that to Medicare, I'm getting paid $4 less per RVU uh, for the, the, the cost of that service than I would 20 years ago, which means I'm making less. The inflation we've already discussed, even for this year, inflation has increased the cost of goods roughly by 9%. And we're noting that over a 20-year span, the, the reimbursement has decreased, right? And so if you're a hospital system and your payer mix is such that you have you know, 40% are Medicare or Medicaid patients, you're seeing a huge, you know, you've seen a huge cut over uh, many years uh, in terms of what you're getting reimbursed for the services you're providing, despite the fact that you're providing problem, probably at a better uh, service today than you were 20 years ago, better technology, you know, better um, detection rates, but you're getting literally paid less than you were 20 years ago. It, does, it doesn't make sense. And it's made it very hard for uh, hospitals. Then you take an effect, you know, the other portion of this too is that the negotiated rates can change as well. So, you know, even for like the state of Ohio, we will see that for an institution that bills Ohio Medicaid, we may only get reimbursed anywhere from 60 to 70 cents on the dollar, despite the fact that we, you know, bill, you know, if we bill a dollar and Medicaid pays us 67 cents for the procedure, the service, you know, the, um, the actual RVUs. What are you going to do? I mean, they're they're setting the rates, and so there's not much more that you can do. So we're looking. So if we look at it from a systems level, we know the system has has faced some challenges, and I'm not here to debate if that's right or wrong. If they should or they shouldn't have, or or if they you know screwed themselves. There's a lot of truth to a lot of those thoughts, and that's not up for debate right now. But what's also interesting is that it does affect, um, you know, what you do every day at the bedside. All that stuff, even though it's like, oh, why, why are we talking about, you know, Medicaid conversion factors? Like that, that has nothing to do with what I do on the day-to-day -day basis when I see an annual exam. Well, actually, it does, and you, and we've just discussed why. So, but we also know too that um, in addition to cost, you know, it's also I want you to think about the season that we're in, which is like, and I mentioned it in our last podcast. You know, if your household was like my household, it's gone through a couple of uh, uh, moments of sickness, right? And we're right now in this uh, wave of, you know, COVID positive, influenza A high rates and RSV rates. And what happens when we have that? Well, I mean, if it's anything like it is in my house, you know, we're having kids stay home from school, which affects my productivity during the day. And if, if and I have the joy of being able to work from home, right? I, I have a, we have a, uh, I have a, I live in a two partner household where both of us work remotely. And so there's somebody always here to have my kids home, which is amazing. And that is not the reality for many of you. If you are the person who runs a busy clinic, you're on call, you know, and your kids are sick, you don't have the luxury very often of maybe being able to easily just stay home. And so, right, what happens? Well, many of you have jiggered up systems around this. You've got people who come and watch them, or maybe you have a service that, you know, runs, sends an RN out to provide sick care during the day so that you can go to work, which by the way, these do exist. So if you've ever looked for something like that, they do exist. Um, we have one here that runs through the Visiting Nurses Association, which is, you know, amazing, right? You could actually hire a nurse to come out and do sick care for your kids if you, you know, were at a point where you were like, I don't have any more sick time or I need to be able to work. Um, but we know that the triple, the triple demic, as it's been named, um, that that makes it 
more challenging for a lot of advanced practice nurses who are also parents and who are also caregivers, not only to be present at work, but, you know, physically, but also mentally, you know, it's a lot. And God, and, and we're not even talking about what happens when you get sick too, because you know what happens when these things come in, whether it's a viral gastroenteritis or it's influenza A comes in your household. And, you know, I, I, if you're like me, you're crossing your fingers that you don't get sick. You're doubling up on your vitamin D, C, and your elderberry syrup, and you're trying all you can to wash hands and, and minimize contact so that the whole household doesn't go down, right? Because we've all seen it happen. So, right. So think about how much more challenging it is, right. To have maybe sick kids at home or, you know, to, um, be in that position. We know that that's hard. We know that in addition to all of this, we know that burnout was, is rampant, right. It was there before the pandemic COVID, I think exacerbated a, a lot because, you know, for those of us who have been able to walk into systems that are highly dysfunctional, we've been able to manage our minds and really still above all odds, you know, come out with a smile on our faces and, you know, commit to doing the work, uh, despite how challenging it may be, uh, you know, COVID really put a strain on a lot of people, which, and, and I don't know if you've noticed, but my sense of it is that morale right now is at a an all-time low where I have seen more people just say, I'm so done. I'm over it. It, it just is just, it's too much. And I, I see a lot more of that than I've ever seen before. And I think all of those, you know, sentences, I'm over it, I'm out, it's just too much, is just a, a, you know, it's the kind of the end result of what happens when you go through constant churn and, you know, you get burnout. So, and look, and, you know, remember, there's been, you know, there's not, if, if you're in the hospital system, you're facing higher costs, you got people who are burnt out, you're paying double what you might be on your staff when 30 or 40% of it is filled with travelers. You know, you got patients complaining because they can't get in for their things. They've got, you know, uh, they can't get in for surgeries, whatever the case may be. You know, it's a tough, it's a tough moment for them. It's a tough moment for employees. I don't think it's really easy at this point for anybody. Although if you are in Cleveland, I would mention, we just saw that one of our CEOs, interestingly, of one of the top three, we have three major health health systems in, in Cleveland, Cleveland Clinic, University Hospitals, and Metro Health. And interestingly, the uh, board of directors at Metro Health just um, ousted their uh, past CEO who's been there. Uh, he's probably been there at least a good maybe 10 to 12 years. His name is Akram Boutros. And so it's so interesting right now because some other reports, and these are uh, not not necessarily validated except for being in the news, but some of the reports are that there was a um, questionable practice of uh, assigning himself bonuses, you know, during the pandemic. So, I, so, so the hospitals may be suffering. The employees may be really having a challenging time. I won't say that that's true for all the executives that are out there and, and you know, um, if, if you want to go and take a peek at your own, you know, large medical centers or go take a look at what your CEOs are making or what your C-suite is making at your own institution uh, and find it online, which a lot of this stuff is available online, you know, go have a day of it, but prepare yourself because you may be a little bit, uh, you may have some feelings about it when you see the, um, you know, what, what's, what's being paid out to them. And then when you see something come out in the news and you say, well, in God's name, you know, you've got this guy who supposedly is, uh, you know, issuing himself more bonuses, you know, during the pandemic from 2020 to 2022 when, 
you know, they're not being issued maybe to the staff or it's questionable. You know, it just makes you wonder, you know, and uh, and, and more will come out on that. So um, and maybe we'll have a conversation down the road. But but um, but I think with all of that, that kind of dumpster fire <laughs> shitstorm of circumstances occurring all at the same time, it's like the perfect storm. You know, I think with all of that, that if you show up to work every day and you commit to seeing your patients and you you try your best, I think you are doing a fucking amazing job. I mean, let's just be honest. Like if, if you're just coming across and you're like, you know, all this shit's going on and I'm still showing up and I laugh with my colleagues and, you know, I'm still thinking about, you know, gifts for my staff for the holidays and I'm still trying to show up with a smile on my face and working with my patients and listening and I just want to tell you kudos to you because God bless you for the work that you do. It's been an eventful few few years and I just commend you for your perseverance, your patience, and your ability to continue to manage your brain, to come into all of that shit storm and and to be, you know, to to put a, a straight face on for eight hours or 10 hours and do the work. I just think you're amazing. Okay. So, so it's important to just start there and say, okay. So back to her original question, when you as an APRN have a heavy workload and you want to provide the best care despite having less time to do it, which strategy do you recommend to implement, to finish your day strong and still be satisfied with the care you've provided? So I hope that that gives you some sense of it, right? Like there's this big kind of lot of things going on. You still show up and showing up, I think is still pretty amazing. Okay. So I just want to mention that first. All right. Now, where do we go from here? Well, how do you become the person who um, who has less time, is asked to do more, who wants to finish her day or his or their day strong and still be satisfied? And I think that really is up to you. And, and you get to choose what you define as finishing the day strong or being satisfied, quote unquote, right? Because for some of you, that's going to look like closing your charts on time. Some of you, it's going to look like reducing your wait times and making sure that your flow rate is really good. You've got patients coming in, patients coming out, nobody's waiting too long in the waiting room. For some of you, it looks like a zero inbox or a zero task list box, right? I, or, you know, many of you may be like, that's a thing. Yeah. I mean, some of us do like to get our inboxes and task box boxes, you know, down to zero because for a brief moment when you look and you're like, there's nothing in there, right? And it feels amazing. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation. If not, it's it's great to strive for that moment where you're like, yes, there's nothing there. It's all answered. No one needs anything from me right now until, you know, five minutes later you get another one from you know, whoever, nurse or some new lab has resulted and, you know, your inbox has, has a couple things in it to deal with. But for those brief moments, it's amazing, right? So, but here's what I want to say. Like, you you really do get to define and, and you get to choose how you define what finishing the day strong or being satisfied means to you. Because some of you would look and be like, I just, I don't really give a shit about zero inbox. Like if my task list has 25 things in it, great. Like if I get down to 25 things a day before I close it up, I'm in good shape. And I, that's okay. You get to decide as long as, you know, you don't, now this all is, this this conversation is um, based on the fact that your employer has set some sort of policy on how often you need to check your in-basket or how, uh, you know, quickly you need to respond to your patients. And as long as you're, you know, within the realm of what they have told you is acceptable and appropriate as an employee there, you know, great, like you get to choose. And 
even if you don't care what the policy is and you're like, I really don't give a shit what the policy is, that's your choice too, right? I mean, I'm not here to judge. You get to choose, right? Um, and we know what happens. I mean, you know, some organizations will really, um, they really take issue with it and some don't care. You know, they have policies, but they won't necessarily do anything if you've got open charts for, you know, 75 days or 100 days or something. Not everybody's like that, but you still get to choose how you define what it looks like to finish the day strong or to be, or to feel satisfied. Um, you know, if you're like, you know, I just feel like if I show up, I do my best, I have maybe a little bit, my, my charting's a little bit more focused, maybe I delegate more to my team, maybe I say no to additional projects I get asked to do, maybe I put a boundary on how late I stay at work, like I never stay at work later than 5.15, and some of you are like, can you do that? Yes, you can do that. You just make a decision and say, I'm just leaving today at 5.15. I don't care if the charts are done. You know, if they're not done, they are done. You could you could set a boundary and say, never open my laptop on the weekends. I don't care how much work I do, how, much, how behind I am. I just don't because that's my time, right? That's an opportunity for you. And and I think that you're, the beauty is here that you get to define what it is. You get to set those boundaries. And there's really no right or wrong answer here. It's just what feels best to you. What do you want to define as your of being satisfied? What to you, what does it mean to you to say, oh, this is what it means when I finish the day strong. Like this is how, this is what it looks like. Define it, really get clear. Oh, I have less than 5% of charts are open. Uh, all bills are submitted and, um, you know, test box or in basket is, you know, down to less than, 10 new results that have been addressed or, or all of my patient calls have been, you know, answered, rerouted back to the staff, um, you know, whatever. It's done to zero. You get to choose. And there's no right or wrong answer. Because, and it's interesting, you know, very often many of us, if we have any issues with, um, you know, the five Ps, if you guys saw one of my last webinars, we talked about the five Ps of uh, perfectionism, placating, procrastination, perfectionism, and patriarchy. And these are ones that we I encounter with clients all the time of reasons why they do things, you know, uh, why do you close, why do you need to have the, all the charts closed at the end of the day? Is it, would it be great? Yeah, it would be great. Does it have to happen that way? No, it actually doesn't. So you, again, get to choose, right? Like, what does winning feel like for me in this situation? And you, and, and when your brain offers you, but you have to do all things, you've got to get that in basket down to zero, or you've got to close all the charts, or you go home and you're like, I really should open up my charts because, uh, you know, I, I didn't finish them all, right? You, you get to own um, and counter your brain with some other thoughts. And you get to say, look, I know what I'm good at. I've, I've made a decision. I'm comfortable with it. Is this feels right for me. I get to choose where I focus my time. I get to choose how I define finishing the day strong. I get to choose how I, how I define being satisfied. And I've done that. And, uh, you know, I'm good, right? Like, isn't that funny? Like, that could be when your brain offers you, like, oh, you got to open your computer. You got to finish those charts. Yeah, it's Sunday. You got to pull out that computer, clear it out. And so you walk into work Monday, you know, feeling good. Why? Just do it. I'm mean, like, right? Some some of you would say, some of you would say where the problem is perfectionism. You're like, well, I got to get it done today. But do you really? Do you really? Is it really worth it to to you know mire yourself in work on a day when you have a desire to be with your family or to disconnect from work or disengage or to sit in the bathtub all day and 
you know, I don't know, put your bath bombs on and some lovely music and have a glass of wine or a cocktail. I don't know. Like, how do you want to relax? How do you want to spend your Sunday? I don't want to spend my Sunday with a laptop open, you know, doing chart reviews or, you know, fixing, you know, in baskets. I don't. Have I done that in the past? Yeah. Do I now, right? All of us have probably done that. Do I want to do it going forward? Do I want to set a boundary for myself? Even when it feels hard, even when I have an urge to open my laptop, am I willing in that moment to manage my brain and just be like, look, we're good. We made a decision, you know, a couple weeks ago, and we're really going to hold tight to that. It's just not a problem. And everything, everything's going to go be okay if I don't get the in-basket down to zero today. If I don't, if it takes me an extra day to close the charts, it's all right, right? If, we're, if you're in the ED or you're in labor and delivery and we have a core prolapse or a shoulder dystocia or some emergent issue, if somebody needs to go to the OR or somebody needs to be coded, there's no time for procrastination. And you and I know this. We know this, that emergent situations require ur- emergent action. Urgent situations require urgent action. Non-urgent situations require very often non-urgent action. If it works in the OR, it can work for you. If it works in triage, it can work for you. Where we're dealing with people's lives and their, and their health, if it works there, it can work for you too, Right? If it's a non-urgent situation, non-urgent, non-emergent, it can probably have a non-urgent, non-emergent solution. Okay? So, but you get to choose. See how, see what I did there? Just rerouting my brain. Feeling like, no, actually, I know you think the house is on fire and it feels like it for sure. feels like I've got to do all the things right now. And I don't. Right? I don't. And very often, you know, the, the one thing I want to always uh, remind you of is that, yes, in fact, um, the key here is always to show yourself compassion when you have these moments, right? And to say, no, of course, of course you want to get it all done right now. Of course you think you have to do everything right now. Of course you think it's got to be perfect. Of course you do. You've been taught that that was the only way to go, do, go about doing business for many, many years. And now, now we get to question that. No, we know it's not true. Anne said, a non-urgent, non-emergent situation very often doesn't require non-urgent uh, or doesn't require emergent or urgent action. Like, I'm good, right? Of course. So that's the key there, right? Showing yourself some of that love and grace and compassion, right, for living in this type of situation and scenario and, um, and always, uh, you know, remembering that you get to choose how you define it. You get to choose uh, whether or not you point your brain in the direction of what's true. You get to choose whether or not you show yourself um, the utmost respect for being a human in a challenging time. Or even if we, if we don't want to label it and say, well, it's not really challenging right now, although I think a lot of you would agree with me that there have been some challenging moments, as there always are in life. So how do you want to show up for those challenging moments? Not, not for everybody else, but for yourself. How do you want to, how do you want to define it? How do you want to stay, you know, show up strong? What do you want to define as, as being satisfied and being, you know, five-star version of your work, Right? You get to choose. So I hope that's helpful for you. I'll come back uh, maybe next week with a couple more. And um, if you are not on Doximity, come and join the uh, party. It's fun. It's good. It's a, I think, a great uh, 
um, environment and uh, networking site. And the one thing I really like about Doximity, just as the last final note, they send out a weekly, you know, news about kind of pertinent to your area or the preferences that you have set up. So I get really good um, articles about that come out from Becker's and um, from um, Medscape, and they do like a uh, summation of all the highly trending articles in healthcare, specifically with reference to advanced practice nurses and nurses in general. And so I like that it um, compiles them and sends them to me once a week. And strangely, it comes out on Saturday night, and so I usually keep it in my in basket and you know read it on Mondays uh, or even on Sundays maybe if I you know want to do some reading. So, all right. So remember, you choose, you get to define it. You get to show yourself love and compassion for it. And, uh, and uh, you know, I wish you all the best, okay? So go out there, make those decisions. Show yourself love and grace, okay? All right. If not, you know where to find me and I'll help you do it too. Okay, take care.